Sick Pod. In this pod, we interview Craig Stammen, San Diego Padres relief pitcher. We ask him questions such as, when did you know that you were starting the big leagues? How did it feel striking out A-Rod in your first start at Yankee Stadium? And where were you when you figured out you were going to start in the NL Wild Card in Game 3? Listen in, folks. This is going to be a good one. We'd like to welcome Craig Stammen to the 126 pod. Craig, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be on the 126 pod. I mean, it's an honor to be on this pod. Our previous interview was Michael McClurg, head coach of the Minster Wildcats basketball team. So you have a tough act to follow. Um, uh, a lot so- of her grads on here. What's that? A lot of Versailles grads on this. A lot of Versailles, a lot of Versailles grads, a lot of Tigers on here. We'll have to change that up. We gotta get over to to Greenville or something, find somebody from there. <laughs> somebody from down there to join. <laughs> so we'll jump right into it, man. We um we've been circling this. I think we actually promoted this uh your appearance before we even asked you to join. So we thank you for coming on. We uh we're gonna talk about a few different things, but I think first and foremost, uh you know, timing is pretty unique that we're talking to you now that the Padres have kind of rocked the baseball world over the last 24 hours. Some some trades that I think aren't officially done, but kind of done. Blake Snell, you Darvish, like talk about like what's the, what's going on right now with the Padres and what how that impacts the team. And like, tell us about your thoughts on what these moves may mean. Yeah, I mean, we just traded for two of the best pitchers in all of baseball and added it to you know, a team that went to the playoffs last year without losing very much. You know, we lost Zach Davies to the Cubs, it looks like. But, I mean, my my wife was telling me that you t- tweeted out that he hasn't heard anything about the trade yet. So, it, it, you know, these trades are kind of funny because they got to do a lot of, you know, you got to take your physical exam. Probably the pitchers are doing MRIs, and, and then the doctors have to sign off on it. Plus, you know, all the minor league prospects that, you know, who knows if the team's even seen in the last year. You know, they've got to be, you know, got a hold of and, and same medical things reviewed and all that stuff. And then throwing the holidays and people not working and COVID. Uh, it might be a couple of weeks till we have these trades finalized. But uh, on the surface, it looks pretty exciting for the Padres and exciting for someone like me who's, you know, at the back end of his career, you know, looking for that World Series ring. And these two guys definitely uh, make it more of a chance of us ha- that happening. You said like that. So like when you says that he hasn't heard about it. So, and I saw that, I saw that he tweeted that out. So does that like, how does that work? Like, I know that you said those, those things that you just mentioned, but so if, if it's out there and maybe he's not heard about it, but he's got like, how does that, so how does it get out initially? Is it guys like Ken Rosenthal and some of these, like these, these people that are out breaking the news and just kind of putting it out there. Cause the teams haven't responded to it yet. Like what's, how does this even start? Yeah. Good question. Um, I hope he's joking to be honest, (laughs) but you know, a lot of these things, you know, the sources that these guys have are typically people within the organization owners ownership, or, you know, a lot of it's getting leaked, put it that way to them on purpose. So that, yeah, I, in my opinion, I think, I don't, I don't know how, unless they're like staking out the airport you know, I heard like the, the Korean player that we just signed, you yeah. know, they fly into the States. So, you know, maybe in Korea, they're, they're watching the, 
the airport, but I don't know if they're doing that in San Diego or doing that where you lives or where Blake Snell lives or what, I'm not quite sure, but um, I'm thinking some of this is leaked or, you know, one of the players tells one of the, you know, writers, beat writers or something like that. One of the minor league players, you know, something changes within their family or a schedule appearance gets canceled, something like that. I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming that's how it gets uh, put out in the open, but um, you know, obviously it's not finalized until yeah. the doctor on it. You know, everything's good to go. I mean, as a Cub fan, it's a little bit devastating that the run the window is closing for the team that won the title and really only contended really only that one year, they really made that serious run. They made the playoffs, you know, four or five other times in the, with this group, but it's just frustrating that that team, you know, Zach Davies is solid. You're going to have Hendricks maybe, you know, but it's like, this is the start of thus getting rid of a Chris Bryant, a Baez, but at the same time, what's frustrating for someone that wants to win is you got, you got the money to keep some of them. You have to dump everybody. Right. But it's a, a tough maybe, kind of seesaw. Yeah. Maybe this is a way that they hang on to, you know, those guys, Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, um, you know, cause they get rid of some of Darvish's contract. Yeah. You know, and you get Davies, who's a solid, you know, yeah. he awesome for us last year. Yeah, he did. He's up there and wins in the National League. And maybe, you know, maybe the Cubs are pulling a fast one on the Padres saying Darvish equals Davies. Just, you know, on the surface, 95 doesn't look like 89 kind of thing, but you're getting the same production out of two players. You know, I'm not – I don't know how – you know, I don't dive into the sabermetrics like the front offices do, but I'm sure yeah. that's what they're thinking. They're thinking they can get just as much production out of Zach Davies and hopefully still contend, you know, with a solid major league pitcher and and maybe get something else in return and give away, you know, some of the contract money that they've got to pay to Darvish. Can we throw in Jason Hayward into this trade too? <laughs> and his 228 batting average or whatever it's been with the Cubs for the last four years for 150 million. I think your think your guy would probably would go for that too, or or what do you think? I mean, he's a World Series champion. He's, he's a good champ. team. I faced off against him, you know, numerous times when he's with the Braves, Cardinals, and Cubs. But he's a solid player. You know, we all are subject to Father Time, and there's good seasons and bad seasons. <laughs> he's getting money though. Sure. Um, he helped us win a title, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he could be on our team. We'll take him if you want to pay he, the con. <laughs> he, he got the boys together and the rain delay and got us uh, ready to come out and win that uh, that game in Cleveland. Yeah, how much? How much do you measure a World Series ring? You know, you could twenty years of futility for one World Series ring. I think a lot of people would take that. Yeah, maybe ten, that. maybe not twenty. I mean, you went one oh. What was it? One oh eight. Yes. <laughs> 108 years. 108 years. Um, so, like, while this is going on, are you texting, like, with your teammates? And how does that work? Like, are you – like, do you guys just on the back end, hey, someone's – like, you hear this? Or what – like, do you guys talk about – did you – side note, did you just pull a tooth out, Jackson? What? No. <laughs> no, I would never do anything. I think you just pulled a tooth out right here. Did you really? Yeah. Which one was it? Uh-huh. Nice. Go to the camera. The microphone's blocking which one it was. Yeah, so I'm sitting here and he's not saying anything and he just starts wiggling his tooth and just yanks it right out of his mouth. (laughs) So anyway, let's go. Like, so are you guys talking or texting or or like what's happening? Like you communicate with your guys and your boys about this? 
Yeah, I text a few guys, uh, you know, when we're trading for players that maybe they've played with in the past. It's like, hey, what kind of guy is this? You yeah. know, is, is he going to be fun to be around? Are we going to be able to play some golf with him? You know, what kind of, you know, stuff like that. But other than that, you're kind of just hoping some of your buddies or even yourself aren't included in that trade, you know. And it wouldn't yeah. really be that bad getting traded to either team because both those teams made it to the playoffs last year. But it just kind of looks like the Padres are pushing their chips all in. So it's an organization you want to stick around with and, uh, you know, ride the coattails of Manny Machado, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. and the, and the rest of the boys. Uh, so like when someone gets traded. Um, who knows about it first? Do we know about it or like on ESPN or do all the players know about it? Good question. I'd say it's probably different in different trades. Um, you know, I've never been traded, so I don't completely know. I've heard it different ways where guys have saw the bottom line and they're like, Oh man, I'm getting traded, you know, and then they get the call five, 10 minutes later. Um, just a lot of logistics and, and sometimes, you know, the reporters are jump the gun too. you know, they hear, Hey, this is probably going to happen. And then they just tweet it out and then it acts like it's news, you know, kind of thing. A lot of fake news going on in the baseball world too, you know, just like, you know, regular world. So it's, it's important to be careful with that. But I, I, the only times that I've almost been traded, or at least that I think that I've almost been traded, have been in a couple of trade deadlines, uh, probably three of the last four years. And, you know, I didn't know anything about it. My, my agent didn't know anything about it. The only thing I was hearing was from other people who knew other people in the organizations that were, hey, you know, I just got asked what kind of person you are just a heads up, you might be getting traded there or something like that. You know, um, other than that, I mean, I, the last trade deadline, I was thinking we were, we had a day off in LA and we went and played golf and, you know, I was probably close to being traded and I didn't hear a single word the whole day. So, and when I showed up to the ballpark the next day, it was like nothing happened. Where'd Maybe you play the, golf? We were at Riviera country club. It was just a, you know, a little private place out in LA. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, t- we'll get to the golf stuff later. When someone does get, tra- have you ever seen somebody get traded? Like, is it like in Moneyball where, where uh, was it Jonah uh, goes up to, um, oh gosh, the guy went to the uh, Tampa Bay and to then I think the Cubs even for a minute. Like, does he walk up to him like, hey, you're being traded. Jeff down the hall has got the paperwork. Go see him. Like, how does, what does it, what's it go, what's it go like? Uh, I th- it's like that where they uh, pull you into the office. Usually it's a longer meeting and I mean, it's different with different places, but I'm sure um, how I've experienced it is you get called in the office, manager, GMs in there, pitching coach, if you're a pitcher, hitting coach, if you're a hitter kind of thing. And, and, you know, and it's probably different for different trades. If it's a guy they like, you know, they're going to treat him a little bit different. If it's a guy that they're just like, Hey, the Jeremy Giambi and Moneyball. Yeah, I think they're in that in that movie. They're mad at him, you know, for dancing around when they lose, whatever that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, I've seen, you know, the, I'm trying to think back to a couple of trades that I've seen happen like that day that we're in the clubhouse, and it's just like, hey, come in, come in the office. They talk for five, ten minutes, and guy walks out and says, "Hey, man, I just been traded. It's nice playing with you. We'll see you right down the road," you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So let's go back to kind of like the start of this season. COVID shuts down not only our Dayton Flyers. We won't go there for this pod. We'll save it for another time. But they shut that down, and they shut down MLB, follow suit. So, like, 
what was it like? What happened then? Because you all were in spring training when kind of things were going down. Yeah. Did, where'd you go? Like what happened? What was the next steps? Like what, how was it communicated to the players? And what were like the immediate next steps from that? Yeah, it was it was weird. It was real weird. I, I think a lot. We were all hoping, you know, nothing would happen that we could just kind of sneak past it, and it was only yeah. going to be a week, three week thing, and and we were going to be good. But uh, once the NCAA got shut down, we knew we were in, in pretty big trouble. And you know, our beloved Dayton Flyers, probably the team most affected by, yeah. by the pandemic, by things being canceled. You know, their one chance at, at history destroyed. Um, so disappointing, but on the other hand of that, you know, we will always view these Dayton Flyers as the best team in the, in the, in the country in 2019, 20, you know, you know, what I, I have right, right here, right here. I have my Dayton Flyers, 2020 national champions, probably yeah. uh, signed. And nobody can ever say that they wouldn't have been national champions. <laughs> we had the year, the player of the year, all that stuff. But, but going back to your question, you know, we were in the clubhouse and, you know, practice would get canceled and then we'd have meetings and then it was like, all right, stick around. We're going to have a meeting in an hour. We're going to figure this out. And we'd have a meeting and we're still waiting on what the commissioner is going to say. So wait two more hours kind of thing. So I remember hanging out in the clubhouse and like game gets canceled and we're, we have a basketball hoop outside the facility. We're shooting hoops, playing horse. So I got my 56 degree wedge out. We're hitting wedge shot. You know, we're just trying to buy time. We want to figure out what's going on and, and most of the team stuck around for four or five days after everything got shut down just to, you know, maybe they'll start it back up right away. We didn't really know what was going on. And, and I remember we had a team, we did a team golf outing cause we were just like, we got a day off. Let's set up a, yeah. you know, 12 team scramble and, and get after it. And then we'll find out what's going on afterwards. And right after that is when they shut everything down in spring training and they gave us the option. You can either go to San Diego, go home or stay in, Arizona. And, uh, we packed up our rental house and drove to San Diego because we felt like that was the best spot to be weather wise. <laughs> Didn't yeah. want to go back to Iowa in March. And, uh, we had a place set up already for the season, figured we'd just, you know, use that. And, and they kept Pepco park open for us. So we were allowed to go to the ballpark every day during, during the shutdown and, and get our work in. And, you know, my house throwing all summer long. So, the big reason why my arm is able to stay healthy and stay in shape. Um, when you got back, was it all the players that were training or was it just like some of them? When you got back to San Diego? Yeah, we had probably uh, 20 guys in San Diego. that, And we had to show up, you know, four of us every two hours. So we couldn't all practice together. We were staggered throughout the day. Um, position players were using in the morning, the pitchers were in the afternoon kind of thing. Um, and then as we got closer to starting back up again, summer camp 2.0, more guys filtered in and, uh, that number grew, but there was probably 20 guys in, in San Diego and probably another 15 in Arizona and another five, 10, 15 scattered out, you know, at their hometowns. Jeez. So then we get word that we can start playing baseball. It's going to be, I think, what was it like 4th of July weekend or somewhere around that time frame ish. Yeah. And so then when you're allowed to get back together as a team, like we, you'd see these videos on Twitter of like, like teams playing just a inter squad game in the park with no fans. And I think that was when it first hit us. It's like, this is going to be really weird in baseball, basketball, NBA in the finals, 
put up those boards and they did some different things to where they could kind of, you know, keep the focus just on the court. But in baseball, it's different. You see, a lot, I saw the view and it's like, there's a home run and there's nobody behind the plate and there's nobody in the bleachers. And it just was weird. Like, what were you doing as a team then when you started to get back together and kind of, you know, spring training or summer camp 2.0, whatever you want to call it, what was it like? What was going on? It was definitely different, you know, inner squatting with your teammates too. And that in knowing like, Hey, that's the only team we're going to play before this thing, yeah. you know, it's in, we ended up playing the angels, I think twice, you know, one game at our place and one game at their place. And it was just like, you know, searching for energy, you know, you hit the ball and it hits the stands and clink, 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 you know, <laughs> that sound. And, and, and then we tried different things too. We tried pumping in music. We tried, you know, crowd noise, ended up going with crowd noise. I think everybody did. Uh, but trying to, a lot of different things, it, you know, it was fun. We were playing like four inning games because we just didn't have enough pitching built up. And uh, it was just a different way to, to get ready for the season. Ironically, it was probably the best I've ever pitched in my career was in these summer camp 2.0 games. Why? Well, what was the reason you think? Probably because nobody was watching. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I think a lot of it was because I prepared, you know, all – spring and summer to pitch and I was kind of I treated it like it was the season so I was coming into super summer camp 2.0 as if the middle of the season for me and I don't know if everybody kind of did the same thing and I especially know the position players were trying to save themselves for the end of the season and I just didn't want to get I just didn't want to hurt my arm so I was just trying to stay as as ready the whole time as I possibly could I tried to not go backwards from where I was uh, when spring training ended and I was pretty well built up when everything got shut down. So that was probably part of it. Um, were there guys that struggled with like no fans at the park and lack of energy? Yeah, I think so. I think I probably struggled a little bit at, you know, at the beginning, you're coming in the game in the seventh, eighth inning and you're expecting, you know, the weird part was for me was when we went on the road and we're playing in, Oracle Park in San Francisco, it's usually loud. Fans are crazy and they're getting on you and, you know, you're running in the game and it's complete silence and you got to get three outs in the eighth inning and you got to find your own energy. So that was, you know, it was just a little bit of an adjustment at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, two weeks in, I think we all had it figured out by then. You mentioned like saving yourself and building yourself up and you were ready to go when the season came on just based on your training was there like a different approach for especially the starters knowing that you're you, some guys are looking to go 200 innings 300 whatever it may be not 300 i guess but 200 inning guys knowing that they're only playing you know two months worth of a sprint season was there a different approach for like the starters yeah i think and you know it was one of those things nobody really knew what to do you know it yeah. was weird there was a couple of stars that i was in my pitching group and they were, we were throwing simulated games. We were throwing like live batting practice to some of the hitters that wanted to stick around and take live at bats. And we were, you know, simulating pitching two innings at a time, or at least the starters were, but they wouldn't go above, you know, 40, 50 pitches just because we just didn't know when it was going to start. We were like, well, yeah. why, would we, why would you put yourself at risk of throwing 7,500 pitches when, you know, who knows if we're even going to play? Cause for yeah. a lot of times, like the whole season was going to get canceled. So it was just, it was a crapshoot, you know, just guessing what was going to happen, guessing what you needed to do to be ready and uh, multiple ways to do it. You know, the way I did it, I don't even know if it was right. You know, maybe I would have benefited from taking a little bit of a break and started back up again. I would have maybe been a little bit fresher. Uh, 
at the end of the season, but is what it is. Ended up coming out of it healthy and ready for next year, so I can't complain. Yeah, it was a heck of a season, man. I know we were texting throughout. I told you right away at the beginning, I like I like this Padre team last year. I like them a lot this year with the Cy Young Award winners from both leagues on your team. And um, but they, but you guys like just had a lot of energy. The bats were clicking. It was just different from the year before. End of the season. Well, let's fast forward to October second, game three, of the NL wild card. <laughs> I've read the articles and in the, in the in the papers out there that you gave some of those interviews. But when did you find out because that you were going to start Game Three on October second against the Cardinals? Yeah, I think this is a pretty good story. So game end, Game Two ends. We we won Game Two because we lost Game One. So we win Game Two, and I'm like, man, we used everybody tonight. Everybody <laughs> and the night before. Yeah. And and we didn't, and we knew game three was going to be a bullpen day because we only had two, two healthy starters and last the whole season, what we'd use when we'd done a bullpen day, we'd used like one of the young kids to pitch, like one of the up and coming prospects that was a starter in the minor leagues, you know, let him go two or three innings, see what they can do. And then, you know, piece it together on the way. Um, but so I'm, I'm leaving the ballpark and I'm asking like, Hey, who's starting tomorrow? Just like, no thinking there's no way that I'm starting and I go home and they're, they're kind of, people are kind of looking at me like, it might be you. And I'm like, it ain't going to be me. You know, it's been 11 years since I started in the big leagues or 10 years since I started in the big leagues. So I went home and I was wiped out. It, you know, playoff games just wipe you out, take your energy away. You know, you're so mentally locked in, like it just beat. And so I fell asleep at like, I'm thinking 10 30 at night, you know, after the game, wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. Cause kids are, you know, screaming, getting up, got to, you know, help Audrey get them get breakfast, get them dressed. And I got a text on my phone from about 10 45 at night. So 15 minutes about after I fall asleep, it said from our manager saying just a heads up, you might be starting tomorrow. So it's a, and I tell you what, I got probably the best night of sleep. I got <laughs> three months too. So it was good timing that I fell asleep then and then got the text in the morning. So get the text in the morning. I'm like, all right, this could be pretty fun, you know, game three and they're going to give me the ball maybe, but it wasn't for sure. So, you know, I'm thinking, man, I might be starting. I, you know, told Audrey, told mom and dad, like, Hey, just a heads up. I might be starting today. They're not going to announce it for a while, but it might be me. And uh, get to the ballpark. We're going, we have pitcher stretch at 1230 and Talked to the manager before that. He's like, hey, I'll let you know. You know, we're not sure who's going to start yet. I think what they're deciding was Clevenger was thinking about yeah. coming and just pitching one inning and, you know, trying to be Superman, you know, with Tommy John, you know, ligament torn, not knowing it at the time, but, you know, just not feeling good. And we go out for stretch and the manager walks out the stretch and he says, hey, you ready to go tonight? I said, yes, sir. And he said, all right, you're starting. And so out there on the field, and, you know, we kind of went about our daily, you know, daily routine, played catch, did our running. And then, you know, by then I'm already trying to formulate a plan of like, Hey, what am I going to do? Like how long early am I going to get out to the field? Like, what am I, where's my stretching routine? Um, Pitches am I going to throw in the bullpen, that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's kind of how I found out. And that's kind of how the day went. On to the next question. How much studying did you do to prep for the game? That's a good question. You know, I did a fair, I did a little bit more than normal because I knew exactly who I was facing. And 
you know, you may think like, Hey, I haven't started in 10 years. It's going to be difficult. You've never done this before, but it made it a little easier because I knew exactly who I was going to face and I could prep for Colton Wong's leading off the game. All right. How am I going to get Colton Wong out? And that was like uh, objective number one. I had to get the first guy out because in the first two games, we'd given up three runs and four runs in the first inning and we were down. And I just, I knew that if we were going to win the game, that could not happen. We had to get out of the first inning with no runs. So uh, it was Colton Wong, Tommy Edmond, and then Paul Goldschmidt. And I knew if I got the first two guys out, like two lefties that get on base, could steal bases, run well, I got to get those guys out before Goldschmidt gets up. So, uh, you know, that that was kind of uh, my thinking going into it. When So a player like Paul Goldschmidt, who's a, you know, MVP, MVP caliber guy for the last, like, you know, for actually all of his career, when you're, so you, there's not a lot of time to prep. You did what you could. Are you going and thinking, oh man, I can't throw Goldschmidt the outside fastball or it's going out? Or is there like, is there a certain pitch where you're like, I got to live on this against a great hitter like him or other people in the lineup? Yeah. I, I'd face uh, Goldie a bunch when he's with the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Uh, when I was with the Padres. So, you know, I've probably had 15, 20 at bats against him. And so what I like to do is I watch all my previous at bats against these guys and, and take, you know, all right, what did this guy hit off me, what I get him out with, and then tie that to what our actual scouting report is, you know, what he's good at hitting, what he, you know, what we think we should throw him. Um, so for me, like against great hitters, I'm always going to live down and away. That's usually the safe zone. If you can get the pitch there, you can, you have a better chance of getting them out and you have a really good chance of limiting them hitting a double or a home run. And that's kind of what I'm just trying to avoid is them doing damage. Mm-hmm. If they get a single, you know, hopefully I can pitch around that and get the next two or three guys out. So usually down the ways, uh, the spot that I live with, I ended up throwing him up and in and he popped it up. I kind of got lucky on that pitch. Yeah. I got the first two guys out. I went two and oh, and I said, I actually told myself on the mound, you're not walking this guy. Who cares if it's Paul Goldschmidt? Throw the sucker right down the middle and see what happens. And I threw it as hard as I could. And <laughs> <up> and <up. laughs> That's big league pitching right there. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have like so? Do you do that kind of studying? You mentioned you'll study the, the who they're going to face when you're just in relief mostly. So do you go through that because it's different that you don't know when you're going to come in. There could be pinch hitters, guys off the bench, whatever. Do you do that kind of prep? on a normal day in, in May when you're going to, you know, you're kind of slated to be the guy in the pen, do you go through your at-bats against them? Like what's that prep like? Yeah, I usually go through every hitter and I went through every hitter on the Cardinals too. Um, you know, we, I went over it with the catcher and the pitching coach before the game because I was the starter. So I got to do that. And then we got to the seventh hitter and the pitching coach goes, ah, we don't need to go over these next three guys. And I'm like, why not? Like, what if I'm pitching good and you want to leave me in the game? He's Down like, there for a reason you're not pitching to the seventh guy. (laughs) So, you know, that is what it is, but usually the first game before of every series, say we're playing the Cubs, I'll sit down and watch video of their whole lineup and all their reserves and all that stuff and formulate my own little scatter report on them. And then we'll have a pitcher's meeting uh, where we go over some of the hitters, some of the things to avoid, some of the things to attack, stuff like that. So um, usually the first first game of every series is when, you do all the scouting and, and prepping. And I'm lucky that I've pitched, you know, a little bit of time in the big leagues that I've got a lot of data from past at bats on a lot of guys. So that helps me in my prep. Um, 
How long could you have lasted in that game? That game three. <laughs> he told you you're only going six hitters, but I, know. I, think, I, I think I could have went all nine. I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I probably could have pitched, you know, that was the second inning. I was feeling pretty good. I know I could have finished that inning and maybe one, one more, two more, if I really had to go for it. in the playoffs, you just, you don't really get tired physically. It's just more mental, um, you know, of, yeah, you know, thinking of like, how am I going to face these hitters? And, but it, you know, when you know, you're only going to face the first six hitters, it's a lot easier to like kind of empty the take on them. <laughs> so who knows how much I would have had left going into like, it's be like uh, RBI baseball when they're done, you know, after like six innings, they're just throwing those little like wobbly uh, knuckleballs. <laughs> 50 overall. I mean, 50 uh, miles per 50 hour. 50 miles per hour. Yeah. So yeah. let's, oh, sorry, what do you say? And I said I would have had to make up some pitches at the end, I think, if I further. We want to go back kind of throughout your career. There's a couple of things we wanted just to pick your brain on and how um, how some of the stuff went down. Like, we first start with getting drafted. Like, you, you talked about, like, getting traded and kind of how that goes down and pull you aside and that. How does it work when you get drafted? Is it literally just the phone call? And this is back, you know, I'm not trying to age ourselves, but I don't know if you're getting any, uh, you know, Different uh, you know, and yeah, yeah. There's no Twitter message that you got notified on. So, like, do you you get the call? They send the ticket. Like, then what's the sequence after? The, like, hey, you've been selected by the Montreal Expos, and uh, and that was it the Expos, right? No, it was the first year of the Nats. First year of the Nats, right? You and Zimmerman, first year of the Nats. I'm sorry. And yeah, so, so you get the call, but then like you get the you get the t- I'm sorry about aging us. You get the <laughs> you get the plates, and then you go. Like, what's that whole? day or two or three or what's that what goes on after you get the call that was another interesting story too Uh, it was middle of june i think yeah june draft and i had signed up to play for the grand lake mariners in the great lakes summer league and i was going to play with them uh in case i didn't get drafted or didn't get drafted high enough or wanted to go back to school that kind of thing yeah that day the day of the draft was our first game so I'm watching the draft. This is dial-up internet, watching the draft on dial-up internet in our mom and dad's basement, and it's slow, and picks are going by. It's, you know, it's not on TV. It's just getting announced, like, I don't know, on the internet, basically, internet audio. And so all these guys are getting drafted, and I'm kind of – I was hoping to get drafted in the top 10 rounds. Well, 10 rounds goes by, and it's time for me to go to the game. I got to leave. So I go to the game, and I had, did have a cell phone at the time, um so i get to the ballpark and i asked our manager said hey do you care if i keep my cell phone in in my back pocket while we take batting practice just in case you know i get a call of getting drafted all that and he knew this he knew the kind of the deal too that i was probably going to get drafted and probably not going to play with him this summer he's like yeah yeah sure go ahead and literally you know five minutes later my agent calls and says hey congratulations and i'm like what happened He's like, you didn't hear? They haven't called you yet? And I'm like, no. He's like, you got drafted by the Washington Nationals in the 12th round. What? Hell yeah, that's awesome. And he's like, well, they should be calling you. I don't know why they haven't called you yet, but uh, we'll have them get a hold of you here pretty soon. So, you know, an hour, it was like an hour later, they finally called and said, hey, congratulations. We're, you know, happy to select you. It was the the scout that saw me. His name was Ben Jones. I still talk to him. 
so Ben called me. He's like, yeah, I'm going to come over to your house in a week. We'll negotiate your signing bonus. You know what we're going to give you uh, college scholarship wise. And then I'll give you a report date where you're going to go, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was that I stayed for the game. I don't know. I probably didn't need to stay for the game, but I stayed for the game. And uh, my grandpa and grandma, they lived in Greenville. So they were, they came to like every sporting event, you know, just like, you know, uh, your mom and dad and, and your wife's mom and dad to come to all the, you know, the kids stuff. And uh, so my grandpa shows up to the game and he's got red Washington nationals hats. He's got like 10 of them in his hand. And I'm like, how in the hell did he get those Washington nationals hats? And so after the game goes, yeah, I just went to Walmart looking for Washington nationals hats and found 10 Washington national hats in the Greenville Walmart. <laughs> what? Like any other team besides the nationals. He's like, well, I saw reds and nationals and that was it. And so, you know, ironically had all these hats. So we got a picture my mom made a cake with a picture of all of us in nationals hats with the cake of congratulations, you know, on getting drafted and stuff like that. So kind of crazy, That's you know, nuts. that of all places having Washington nationals hats, the Greenville Walmart was fully stocked. How, how does it work with the negotiating of the, like how long does that take? Is that of the, your signing bonus and those things you meant? Is that like a five minutes? Cause you cut, you kind of slotted. Is that how it works? If you're in this round and you're this grade in school, you're, you're going to get around this much. Is it the last five minutes or are you guys squaring off for hours on end at the kitchen table in, in your parents' house? And, you know, I was so naive to this process. I had no idea. And I thought, you know, all right, I'm not even going to have to handle this. My advisor or agent, he'll be able to do all this stuff. And I told him, I said, hey, the scout's coming at, you know, two o'clock on Tuesday, you know, and he's like, oh, you'll be fine. It'll be pretty easy that you, this is what you should get. You'll get, you should get $50,000 in that round. They should pay for your last year's school. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. He's like, it'll be easy. He'll just offer it to you and you just sign the, sign the paper. So scout shows up, pulls in the driveway, comes to the kitchen table and he says, Hey, you know, we can only give you 25,000 and we can, we can pay for your last year of school. And I'm like, what? I thought it was supposed to be 50. And he's like, sorry, we only got 25. And I was like, well, all right, let me call my agent. I was like, I'm not, I guess I can't take that. And I had no idea. I felt, I felt like I was throwing away my major league dreams at this point by telling this guy, no. <laughs> and you know, he walks out the door and he gets in his car and he just sits in his car. He doesn't leave. And I call my agent. I'm like, Hey, he just came in here and offered this. And well, what do I do? What, 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 you know, I was scared and didn't know what to do. And he's like, hold on. Has he left yet? I said, no, he hasn't left. All right. He's going to call his, you know, scouting director or whatever. And he's, they're going to say, Hey, he didn't bite at the low ball offer. So he'll come back, just wait. Sure enough. After 20 minutes, he gets out of his car, comes back in the house and he goes, Hey, I got your 50, 50 K for you. <laughs> and that's, and then we signed that signed it right in the kitchen table. And, you know, five minutes later he took off and said, all right, I'll see you in spring training. <laughs> <laughs> so so do you then, oh, sorry, keep going. I was, it was, like you said, it was a crazy you know, I had no idea that's how it went down or, you know, they could have played, you know, if I had, didn't have an advisor, they could have played me so hard. It wouldn't have been funny. Yeah. Do you then, so then they, they just send you, do you go to then to like the short season or the, anything like that? Or, or do you go just, you kind of do your thing and show up in spring training or how's that work? And then they just well, send you a plane ticket. It was uh 
So like the next day, the, the scouting director called me and said, hey, we're going to send you to Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. You're going to play in the short season uh, New York Penn League. Uh, your flight's going to leave, you know, it was the Friday of poultry days. Flight's going to leave the Friday or the Saturday of poultry days because I, I remember I went to poultry days on Friday. Went to poultry days on Friday, left on Saturday, flew to Vermont, <laughs> and uh, yeah, went, lived in Burlington, Vermont for the summer of 2005, which now, you know, they realigned all the minor league uh, affiliates and Vermont doesn't exist anymore. It was one of the teams that got axed, but uh, it was a good summer. I don't know if you remember when they did the 50 states in 50 days on ESPN Sports Center. Yeah. Well, one of the day, the day they did Vermont, they showed up to one of our games, Vermont Expos versus the Lowell Spinners or something like that. And I actually started the game. So got on, that was my first appearance on SportsCenter. What was the biggest jump that you had from A, uh, single A to double A, double A to triple A, or triple A to the MLB? Like what's the, like terms of like the, you mean like the quality of play or like yeah. the biggest jump to adjust yeah. or? Yeah, obviously the, top, the toughest job is AAA to the big leagues, you know, but other than that, and, and that's pretty obvious, but for me, my toughest jump was for getting out of high. I couldn't get out of high A. I was kind of stuck there. I was there for almost a year and probably a year and three quarters. Um, and finally, the last year I pitched so good, but I had pitched so bad the previous year that they were sending everybody up except for me. And I was kind of the last one left on the team. I was leaving. League in the ERA, I made the all-star team. Yeah. Finally, in the, in the all-star game, it was supposed to be in Myrtle Beach. So I'm like, all right, at least I'm going to Myrtle Beach for the all-star game. It would be pretty fun. day before we're supposed to leave for the all-star game, they called me in the office and said, hey, would you rather go to the all-star game or would you rather go pitch in double A? And I was like, well, I'd rather go to double A. Send me up. And so I went up to double A and I had, I, pitched, I had six starts in double A. Pitched probably the best I've ever pitched and got sent up to AAA right after that. So my time in AA was small, was short. And then when I went to AAA, I had like a seven ERA and finished the season and didn't get called up to the next year, but ended up pitching better. But for me, getting going from high A, getting out of high A was the hardest was the hardest jump for me. AA was easy. I don't know why, but, you know, AA was super easy for me. AAA was a little bit of a struggle, but, you know, I, was, I got up to the big leagues within two months after being in AAA, so – it wasn't uh it wasn't too tough at the beginning you i you pitched for the in the in columbus against the clippers you started there one night and a bunch of us were all there and i remember asking you like hey what's the difference between like single a and double a and like little things and outside of like the game and the quality of the players and stuff like that and i think you were like like here triple a or maybe versus my the single a they're shining our shoes before the game like they're cleaning they're not just cleaning their own stuff or whatever like what what are some of the little things like that just from a player from like being just the facilities and the amenities and the perks of a player versus like, you know, going from single A to triple A in, in one season, like what are just the little things that maybe we don't know about? Yeah. I mean, around here we get to see the, you know, the drag, the eight dragons, the 10 caps up in Fort Wayne, those facilities are as good as they get in the minor yeah. leagues. That's not how it is everywhere. Um, you know, playing in Syracuse, New York, it was definitely not like that. You know, we're playing in front of literally 20 fans. You know, you could hear every word someone saying and, you know, it's snowing outside in April and May and you're like, what are we doing? Um, Rhode Island again. Yeah, exactly. Playing Rhode Island <laughs> in 2003. Uh, you can't feel your fingers, but 
Um, Especially if you're Kyle Lindsay and you don't, yeah. you didn't have any after that day. Or you just don't have a finger left. <laughs> Sep- that's a separate story for a separate pile for that. We'll bring the truth in for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Head football coach at Bishop Lawrence High School. True. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, you know the, the first time I got called up to the big leagues, the coolest thing or what I thought was the coolest thing is we were traveling from Washington to New York City and we were taking the train from Washington to New York City. And the thing is, you drop your bags off before the game and, you know, who knows where they went. So we show up in the hotel in, in New York and I'm like, all right, where's my bag? I walk in the door, get my key, walk in the door. And there's my bag sitting in the hotel room already. You know, I dropped it off at the stadium at you know noon. We had a one o'clock game in Washington. We played the game, took the train all the way to D.C. I didn't touch my luggage and there it was sitting in my hotel room. And I was like, that's pretty cool, yeah. you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and the thing about, you know, big leagues too, you get your own hotel room, which is sneaky big perk, you know, instead of having a room with, with one of your teammates, you know, just having your own space and, you know, getting to shower when you want to shower, getting to watch on TV, what you want to watch on TV and, and that kind of stuff. So, so just, yeah. So, so side question, because as in college, sometimes you're like, especially in junior college where I started, there's four guys in like a best Western, like double bed. There's just, you know, everybody's, you know, six foot, whatever, you know, you know, we're all kind of, you know, grown, grown, not only say we're adults, grown kids at the time. Yeah. There's four guys in a bed, you know, so did you ever, was it just one or two guys in a room or did you ever have more than two guys in a room as you're coming up? At UD, we had, you know, three or four. Yeah, three or four. I saw Corey Allen's whitey tighties way too much. <laughs> But uh, keep this PG, but uh, through the minor leagues, you only had one other roommate. So you at least got your own bed. So it was like two guys to a room all the way through. And you, it was like, it was, there was something like you needed to pick a good roommate. Like that was a big deal. And like when one of your buddies, like got sent up and you had to, you were like the last guy, you know, left like the odd man out and you got stuck with the, you know, kid that just came from the Dominican Republic for the first time, get called up. You know, and he's your roommate and he can't speak English and you know, living different culture wise. Like it's just, you know, it's not the easiest thing, but, you know, it's definitely different. So getting your own room in the big leagues is definitely a big perk. Getting called up. Um, can you like describe that process? Like, what do they do? Do they like pull you into the office or something? Yeah, good question. Uh, mine was a little bit different, I think, than a little than most, but. We were in Indianapolis playing the Indianapolis Indians AAA and we're out shagging during batting practice. And for some reason, the, the pitching coordinator, the pitching coach, the farm director, they're all in town to watch us play. And all of a sudden everybody's yelling at me like, Hey, you know, trying to get my attention. And the people, the, all the pitching coaches in the dugout are waving me in, you know, come on in, come on in. And I'm like, all right, now what? Did I get, what did I do last night that got me in trouble? You know, which one of my friends came to visit and left their whole, their hotel room full of beer cans, you know, what, what happened? And I go in there and I'd been pitching really well at the time. And they said, they're looking at me and they're smiling and they're saying, Hey, congratulations. And I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? And they're like, Hey, we got three options for you. You're either, you're not going to pitch tomorrow here in AAA, but you might pitch. You're either going to pitch Monday in the big leagues Thursday in the big leagues or, or Thursday in triple a. And I'm like, all right, well that, those are two of those 
three options are pretty good. <laughs> and they were like, it's not for sure. So you're not allowed to tell anybody, but you're probably getting called up to pitch Monday. That would be, you know, what's probably going to happen. And so, you know, then they're like, all right, go back out there and shag. So ran back out there and everybody's like, what'd they tell you? What'd they tell you? And I'm like, I'm not allowed to tell you. And then, you know, the older guys that have been through that process are like, Oh, you're getting called up. When are you getting called up? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, just tell us. So I told them the deal and you know, what is what it is. So we finished the game there. We, we hop on a bus to Louisville after the game. We're going, we're driving from Indianapolis to Louisville to play another, play the bats. We're on the bus and we're arguing about which VHS tape we're going to watch on the bus. You know, our, what movie? You know, no, we watched that last week. And I'm loud and I'm telling them we're not watching this movie, blah, blah, blah. Manager stands up and he says, Stammon, shut the hell up. You're going to the big leagues tomorrow. It doesn't matter what movie we're watching. And I'm like, oh, you know, all right. I sat down, shut up. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, then he comes by, gives me a hug, shakes my hand, congratulations, you know, talk to the pitching coach, he congratulates me, all that kind of stuff. So I got caught up on the bus on the way from Indianapolis to Louisville. So you go up June 9th, 2009, you guys go to Yankee Stadium. You're getting the start against the Yankees that year or that day. It's your first, you get your first win. The lineup for the Yankees, we got it right here. Jackson, read off to the, the listeners. Who was in the lineup for the Yankees that day? <laughs> the entire lineup? Yeah, just go through it, man. Brett Gardiner, Melky Cabrera, Johnny Damon. Mark Deshera. Alex A-Rod, Robinson <laughs> Cano. 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 Nick Swisher. Hideki Matsui. Francisco Curvoy. Cervelli. George. Jorge Passano. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Ramiro Pina. Pena. <laughs> Derek Jeter. Yeah. So, on that team, we got what? Uh, one, two, three, four, five Hall of Famers that you're facing in Yankee Stadium. And I think it was a rain delay, too, wasn't it? Wasn't there like a two or three hour rain delay that day? Yeah, we were supposed to play at 1 o'clock. It's raining all morning. Game gets delayed. Well, it's interleague play, so we're not playing them again. So, And the Yankees are – they were in second place at the time. The Red Sox are in first. Media is all over them. Like, you guys got all these Hall of Famers. You're not winning. Like, you know, you can't even beat the Nationals because we'd won one game and they'd won one game, so we're split. So this is a rubber match. And I know they were like, we got to get this game in because we can we can beat the Na- – because we were the worst team in the league. So game delayed – think it was five hours we play at like 6 30 me versus java chamberlain and we go out and beat him three nothing and it was the only game that year that was the first year of the new yankee stadium it was the only game that year that no one hit a home run in the game so and it was a dreary cold so the ball wasn't traveling but um and we had some good like austin kearns threw two guys out at second base on doubles off the wall or one or two guys i can't remember can't remember, but we made some great plays defensively and uh, struck out A-Rod in the first inning. So a lot of, a lot of good highlights um, um, from that day. I got pie in the face at Yankee Stadium, which is pretty neat. My dad was there to watch it. Uh, a couple cousins were there, uh, and they enjoyed – let's just say they enjoyed that rain delay. They had their my, – my dad, their uncle, buying a beers the whole time. and uh, it, was, it was a fun 
uh, family affair. That's awesome. I remember, so I, I remember, I forgot about the A-Rod strikeout until just when I was looking this up before, as we were getting ready for this thing, what was it that you threw? Was it just gas him or what'd you get him on? I threw him a fastball. I was a sinker. I was trying to throw it, uh, I think down and away and it kind of just dive bombed and went in the dirt and he swung and missed and he slams his bat down and he's staring. I thought he was staring at me at the time, but now that I'm an older pitcher and kind of know what was going on, he was staring at the guy on second base and I think he was pissed at him for giving him the wrong sign. I think he thought something else was coming and he swung for it. And I threw, you know, it was obviously a different pitch uh, and he swung a miss. So I'm pretty sure that's why he was pissed off if I had to, you know, knowing what I know now. Uh, but at the time I was like, hell yeah, I just made A-Rod throws bat down and disgust. Struck <laughs> <laughs> <Drunk> him out. <laughs> that's awesome. So fast forward then. So we, you get through those a year or two where you're, the team's building back up. You sign some big players. Then you make the playoffs in like 12 and 14, I think it was. Yeah. What What's it like? What's the celebration like? We don't need to get into those specific teams because we've you and I have talked a lot about some of the players on those teams and we don't need to go into who should have been pitching and who was shut down and whatnot now. That's not for this, uh, this episode. But um, you guys clinched the division. You guys clinched the playoff spot. Like – we all see it on camera on Fox and whatever, when they bring the beer and the champagne in, they put the plastic up. Like you get in there and there's all of that, like describe that scene for us when that happens, like from start and then when you leave. <laughs> uh, it is why it is the most fun part about being in the big leagues is being able to pop the champagne and, you know, pour beer and pour champagne on everybody and, you know, have a drink of a little bit of it, I guess, but it is, it's a lot of grown men partying like they did when they're in college and, and taking it to another level. So it's, I mean, you leave the clubhouse completely soaked, or at least you like you're soaked before you shower and it's a two, three hour, you know, spraying champagne, spraying beer, shaking it up, you know, hugging each other, you know, saying congratulations, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, once that's all over inside the clubhouse, kind of cameras leave all that shower up and, and usually, you know, we set up a bar to go to where we can all go hang out. It's a little bit more low key, but we're still, you know, enjoying ourselves. Not really worried about playing the game the next day, put it that way. Um, when did the party stop like that night? <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing good happens after midnight. So we were all in bed by 1159. You believe that? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're that's awesome. By the way, I was always cur always curious about what happens when they you know the wheel of Budweisers and and the champagne. Yeah, that's wheel in and and everybody goes hard at the beginning, you know, spraying the champagne and shaking it up and getting it everywhere, and then you know you kind of run out of champagne, and then it's just like cooler after cooler of you know Budweiser, Bud Light. How many? Whatever. How many? How many champagne? If you had to guess right now from whenever that was, how many bottles and how many how many beers are available? probably two to three bottles of champagne per player. So 25 players, probably 70, 50 to 75 bottles of champagne and beers, man, it's, <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It, it, and most of it gets spilled or like, you know, tossed away or, yeah. you know, poured on someone's head, half of it, you know, we're wearing most of the alcohol. Um, but, you know, kind of once the spring, you're like, all right, I'm tired of getting champagne sprayed in my eye. Now I'm going to, you know, enjoy this a little bit, you know. Yeah. 
That's awesome. All right, so we're going to transition to the mailbag here from just uh, some rapid fire questions we have. We're not rapid fire. We can get into it a little bit, but what a terrible name, by the way, mailbag. Anyway, get, uh, <laughs> you had one right away. You wanted to ask him, Jackson. Um, what's your like schedule the day of the game? What time do you get there? What What's your pregame snack? Uh, if we're doing a uh, seven o'clock game at home. I usually go to the ballpark. I'm leaving our house at 1.30, get there at 1.45. Uh, we have stretch usually at 2.30. So I get there at 1.45. I don't like to waste a whole lot of time. So 1.45, I go in the hot, cold tub. So we got a hot tub and we got a tub that's filled with cold water. And I'm going back and forth. One minute in the cold, two minutes in the hot, one minute in the cold, two minutes in the hot. That's kind of my warm up for the day just to get the blood flowing a little bit. Then I'll do my, I'll go get dressed, go in the weight room and just do some prep, get my arm, you know, kind of loosened up, get my body loosened up. So I got just a little bit of a sweat going. Uh, 2.30 pitchers go out, do our stretch, do our throwing. Uh, we'll throw, you know, usually I try to throw out to 120, 150 feet. Uh, once I'm done with that, uh, then we do our running, our conditioning for the day, whatever that is. Uh, go back in, change clothes get ready for batting practice, go out to batting practice, shag. Uh, if we're the home team, we go to batting practice first. So when we're done with batting practice, the visitors uh, do their batting practice. We go inside, get a snack. Um, What's the snack? Favorite, well, it changes every day, but you know, you try healthy, but sometimes they got pizza sitting there and you're like, just can't help to throw down a slice of pepperoni before the game. But Where's it from? What, what kind? Uh, good. There's a place called Basic Pizza in uh, in San Diego, but most of the time we have chefs that are there at the clubhouse that are cooking, kind of made to order stuff. They have some, you know, before COVID, we had like smorgasbord type meals, and uh, you know, now that COVID's happened, everything was prepackaged, individualized, um, you know, and you try to eat healthy, try to get some vegetables, try to get some fruit, uh, try not to eat anything too big. Just, you know, because you don't want to be bloated for the game. Um, and then, you know, we go into the clubhouse. I usually shower before the game. I like to take a shower, clean myself off, shower, get dressed, prep up for the game, put the old icy hot on the elbow, and uh, go out for the national anthem, and then it's game time. Icy hot before the game if you're going to pitch? Yeah, well, you, it's called red hot. I put red hot I'm getting older, so I need a little bit extra. I put red hot pretty much over my whole shoulder, arm, down the forearm to the wrist, put a sleeve over it so it doesn't get all of my uniform. And usually like what it does, like when you start sweating, it kicks in and like kind of just gives you a little extra boost when you need it. Nice. Uh, so then after the game, game ends, you go in, no champagne this time, just a normal game. But like, is there a chef still there to make something to eat for like dinner before we go home or you just hop in the car? Like we've met up after the game before. You just hop in the car or bus and just go back to the hotel or your house or what, what happens right afterwards? Yeah. Right afterwards, you know, say we win, you know, maybe crack open a cold one and enjoy the, enjoy the W you know, with your boys a little bit, talk about the game, talk about what went right, what went wrong. Um, and then there's usually like a big meal cooked for us after the game um, steak or nice chicken or pork, you know, pork chop or something like that. So it's a kind of a heavier meal a lot of guys like eating after games. I'm not, it's not my favorite thing to do, but usually starving after the game. So, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of food to eat. 
Um, so get, grab something to eat. And then, you know, after, after that shower up, head out, meet up with the Coronas, you know, have a beer, some pizza, hang out together and then get ready for the next game. What, uh, can we refrigerator for the beer fridge for the Padres? What, uh, what, what, if I open that up right now, what am I going to see in there? Is it mostly domestics? We got some, uh, Corona's Corona lights. What do we got in there? Craft? Well, we had, you're not really allowed to stock it. It's not about allowed to be out in the open anymore. It's got to be kind of. So back in the day when it was allowed to be. Day when it was. Yeah. We had, we had a secret cooler and it was stacked. We did have Corona's. That was a Kirby eights. He liked the Corona's. He's from Hawaii. So he's got that Island vibe. Uh, We had a few bush lights in there. That was, that was the Midwest Ohio. Uh, The bush lattes were in there, mostly Bud Light, Coors Light. Some guys that like to stay skinny had the Michelob ultras uh in there too so there's a wide variety um uh wide variety of beers and you know if you're really getting frisky there's a couple guys with some bottles of whiskey or something like that just have a drink after the game to kind of settle down yeah tony gwynn uh my opinion the best hitter of my lifetime that we got to see he was notorious, and he, so he they came to Fort Wayne when Fort Wayne uh, became the single A affiliate, and um, we got a little taste back. I think whatever year it was, ninety, gosh, ninety eight, ninety nine. I forget the exact year, but we got a, we got a taste to see like just of his pregame prep. He's legendary for the video work that he would do. I feel like he was always ahead of the game in the eighties, setting video tendencies of pitchers, his swing, etc. What is like? What is his legacy in San Diego? I know the statues out there, and I know he's you know he's coached there from there, his son, all that stuff. What is his legacy and his his the feeling of Tony Gwynn around San Diego now? Yeah, he's you know he's everybody's favorite player that has ever been a San Diego Padre fan. Um, you know, as a player, from our perspective, obviously he's not around, but his son's around doing broadcasting for Fox Sports, so he's always around. He's a little piece of Tony, you know, Tony Junior. Uh, being around but the hitting like the hitting cage has a door to it on the hitting cage it says 19's home you know kind of thing so that was where he kind of lived and the video coordinator that I had when I first got to San Diego first started playing for the Padres was the same uh, video coordinator they had for the last 25 years Mike Tompkins and he would talk about what Tony Tony would do he's like yeah I was the one who helped him you know get the videos he needed I was kind of the man behind the scenes helping him so that was kind of cool to hear those stories but He's definitely a guy that is missed around San Diego and, uh, you know, honored quite often, but, you know, sadly, you know, gone from us. Yeah. Um, what's your uh, perspective on the, like the 2017 Astros where they like cheat in the world series? Did, did their punishment fit the, uh, crime? Tough question from Jack coming at you, Craig. Oh, Hey, just tough one for me. You know what? My perspective on it, is, uh, you know, I forgive them. That's, that's kind of how I've looked at it. I'm not going to hold a grudge against them. Uh, they did what they did. They knew whether it was wrong or right. They're the ones that have to live with it, not me. So um, I know a lot of guys that have played for the Astros, not necessarily maybe during that time period, maybe a couple of guys. Um, but I, I've talked to a few about that situation with them and, you know, there's a lot that didn't get put out in the media or that we don't know that really did happen or how it happened. You know, we don't quite know yeah. um, is what it is. They definitely were cheating. They definitely had an advantage. 
it probably definitely helped them win the World Series, but you know, we can't do anything about what happened in the past. And we just got to move on and try to be better from it. And I think it's a learning experience for not for me, you know, me and even young kids playing baseball. Like, yeah, it's cool to go out and win and win the World Series and maybe win your Little League championship. But if you're not doing it the right way, what's it matter? Uh, you know, and they're getting a bunch of flack for it. And, you know, you want to be able to play baseball for the right reasons. You want to be able to leave the game with your head held high. You want to be able to beat your buddies, you know, fair and square and say, I kicked your butt, you know, and I did it the right way. You know, if you say, hey, I beat you, but I cheated, you know, along the way, then what does it really matter if you beat him or not? All right, so two more questions because then we're getting long here. And we, uh, we want to get you back to your day and your kids and everything. Um, is there is there one big league moment and I mean big league like a big like when you big leagued a situation like I know that you've had some pretty uh unique and like awesome golf trips and and you fly in different is there is there one moment that stands out over the past you know decade uh, that was like wow that was definitely that was a big league moment you know because we're big leaguers we got to do this or we got access to that there's something like that stands out over all the things that you've kind of experienced yeah there's 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 a couple let me think of that we can talk about yeah you know we there's probably three that come to mind that off the top of my head one was drew storen's birthday i think it was 2014 we're in new york city we have a day off and we we have this connection with a guy that has a membership at friars head golf club in the hamptons and uh we're like we should go play so we call this guy up say hey can you get us on he's like yeah i can get you on what time do you want to play we're like this time all right so we got a tea time now it's how do we how do we get there it's like a five-hour drive or three or four hour drive from the city to the hamptons and drew goes hey it's my birthday i got he had 40 saves that year or something like that let's let's rent a helicopter and fly out there and go play golf so we rented a helicopter on the hudson and flew this golf course, landed in a cornfield and went and played golf, got on the helicopter and flew back. And that was our day off in New York city. So that was one that comes to mind. Another one was another golf trip. We we're in Miami. Uh, one of the guys on the team, Brad hand, he had a way to get us to a discovery property in the Bahamas. And he's like, yeah, we can do that on the off day in Miami. So we're all pumped up about it. And he goes, well, how are we going to get there? We, you know, we got to take a plane. He's like, well, let's just rent a seaplane. And this isn't the Bahamas, like we're not flying into Atlanta. So this is one of the you know, yeah. kind of off Bohemian islands. Called Baker's Bay is where we went. Yeah. And uh, his father-in-law is a pretty wealthy man. He's, he has a yacht that's stationed there. Um, so we flew out there on a seaplane, got up early in the morning, got on this plane, took off, landed in the Bahamas, brought our passports, you know, play golf, this golf course is, you don't have to wear shoes. You can wear your bathing suit. You can jump in the ocean in the middle of it, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we had a, we had a blast. We get to the 17th hole and uh, we see a big, you know, six foot six, you know, guard out of North Carolina. Goat! He's over, he's on his porch smoking a cigar. He's overlooking the ocean, got this house right on the 17th hole and we're teeing off and one of the guys goes, that's MJ. And I'm like, no way. And I'm like, that is. 
So Kirby Yates yells, hey, MJ, come over here. So he gets up, walks over to us, and he can, you can kind of yell, you know, from where his property was to the hole. And he talks to us for five, ten minutes and says, all right, guys, see you later. Gets back to his stogie and, and walks off. And then, you know, we played the 17th hole or whatever. And then we watched the last dance, you know, this, yeah. this summer. And the most, a lot of the interviews were at this house. Cause I, you know, we could tell like the windows and it was going out to the ocean was out at this place. So we, he was probably filming that, you know, the last dance while we were playing golf at this Baker's Bay, whatever. So we play golf, finish the day, get hop back on the plane, seaplane, land in Miami. And that was our off day in Miami. Did so, he know you guys were ball players? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was, there was how many, there was eight of us and we're all six foot, yeah. six three. So he had to know we were, you know, we all had our shirts off playing in swimming trunks and no shoes. So we look, you know, we look like athletes. Some of us do, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Awesome. He guessed, but he, I don't think he knew exactly who any of us, none of us are famous enough for Michael yeah. Jordan to know who we are. What was the third moment? Or is the there third, no I guess MJ was third. Well, we that, went. That, is that two and three? Yeah, was, that could be two and three. There was another, uh, we met David Letterman. Drew Storm knew the, his, uh, he was friends with the writer for the Letterman show. So we got to go to the Letterman show. We got to meet David Letterman. And we're hanging out with him for 20 minutes. He's like, all right, guys, I got to go. But, hey, I set up dinner reservations for you at a place called Meat in New York City. So we didn't know this was going to happen. You know, nice one of the nicest guys we've ever met. We leave, hop in a car, go to this restaurant. Hey, reservations, you know, David sent us. And they set us up real nice and everything <laughs> paid for. So that was pretty sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, that, that, that's those are some those are three off the top of my head. There's, I mean, something happens like that once a year, and it's yeah. myself. I should write a book about it one time. Um, one last question. Before we wrap up, have you ever hit a hole in one, or is it just your wife? <laughs> Great question. Just my wife. <laughs> Best athlete in the house, perhaps. Yeah, best athlete in the house, and it's probably not that close. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well, well, let's wrap this up. We This was a lot of fun. We'd love to have you back on. We got a lot – there's a lot of other things we could go into, but this was really, really fun for both of us. We appreciate you joining the 126, and uh, let's talk again here soon. Yeah. yeah. Terrific. All right, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. See you.